This is Are We Europe, the podcast for changing continents. We ask the small questions and get the big answers. We dive into all things European cultures and identities and bounce all over the continent. It's about the places and people that come to life in sound-rich stories, readouts from our print magazines, episodes from one of the amazing podcasts in our podcast family, or intimate behind-the-scenes interviews with our favorite storytellers and Europe's most talented creators. We got it all on this channel. It's Europe, streaming right in your ears. Are we, are we on? Are we, are we Europe? What the truth is and how it should be told. I think there are a lot of borders to be broken. You can build it together. Community. <laughs> open minds, open borders, openness. <laughs> Try to make Europe sexy. With all sense. Sense. Are we? Are we? Are, are we, we Europe? Europe? <laughs> <laughs> what up? Are we Europe? Boom. Strap yourselves in for a behind-the-scenes interview with Sarah Sachs, author of the flagship story from our latest magazine, The Sports Issue. Our editor-in-chief, Kirill Hartog, sits down with Sarah to discuss her piece, My Sister, the Capoeirista. You can also listen to this piece at Are We Europe Readouts, or somewhere else in this channel. Enjoy the show. One hot summer day in June 2012, an unusual group of people gathered at the central marketplace in Heidelberg. Guests in their wedding finery carried drums and single-stringed instruments and proceeded to form a circle next to the 13th century church, the Heiliggeistkirche. The Bidimbao twang burst out, followed by drums as my sister and her husband, known to our family largely only by his capoeira name, Kao, entered the circle. Kao sang a capoeira song he had composed for my sister. a type of vow, complete with callback from the audience. When it finished, they briefly touched hands and entered into a small, grounded cartwheel. My sister in her wedding dress that my mother and I had fastened moments before with safety pins, and Cow in a suit and jacket, a purple flower pinned to his chest. The music swelled and, one after another, my sister's students entered the circle to swap out and play. Cow's eight-month pregnant sister stepped in, gracefully kicking her legs above her basketball-sized belly her younger brother crouched on the ground below her. Sarah Sachs, we just heard a snippet from a story that you publish in our latest issue, the sports issue. And I was wondering if you could summarize what that story is about. So the story itself is about my sister, who ever since we moved to Germany, when I was 11, she was 16, has been practicing capoeira. So I look at the ways in which she has had this experience of European integration, the way in which her own kind of personality and sense of self has developed through the sport and looking at the ways in which the sport has kind of become really intertwined with her own life. In the story, I also contrast that a little bit to my own experience. You know, I had a very, in some ways, a very similar experience or a similar set of circumstances to my sister of immigrating to Europe, immigrating to Germany when I was 11, but I never really stayed. Like I, you know, still have contacts. I still go back, but I ultimately moved back to the States and still live here. And so for me, when I really think about the difference between my sister who lives in Germany, has kids, is considering becoming a German citizen, all of these things, I think about the fact that you know, her connection to this capoeira community was really fundamental in her kind of developing like this European personality almost in a way that I really just didn't have or don't have. 
That's so interesting, actually. So you partly grew up in Europe. Now you're based in the States. And it seems to me that when you're talking, but also when you're writing the article, you're looking from an outsider's perspective. You're looking at Europe from an American's perspective. And then on the other hand, your sister, I guess, feels more European. So I was curious, how do you guys identify as a family? I mean, that's a great question. It's complicated. My mother's half Canadian, half Dutch. My dad's from the States, from Washington State. And my sister and I grew up in New Zealand and Germany. We were both born in the United States. It's interesting because both my parents still live in Germany and they have in their own ways become very, you know, Germanized. You know, they both speak German. My mother has a strong connection to Canada still, so she goes back a lot. My sister is even more complicated because she married a Brazilian, spent a lot of time in Brazil. So she's also has this like very strong Brazilian connection. She has two kids with her Brazilian husband. The kids are now trilingual. They speak English, German, Portuguese. So in family reunions, it's kind of a mixture of like, I suppose, all three languages. I'll speak German with Cal. I'll speak English with the kids, I'll speak English with my sister, I try to practice my Portuguese on all of them. Usually my sister has some Brazilian house guests. Usually they have a couple where a trainer kind of living in their house with them. So often there's, you know, at least one, if not two kind of random Brazilian people around. Yeah, so it's a melting pot. It's a total hodgepodge kind of melting pot of like different languages and cultures. And also there's a strong connection to India because my dad's an anthropologist. So He speaks Hindi and often has his house guests from India there. None of them can then communicate with the people who speak Portuguese, but it's, you know, it's kind of funny. There's been a lot of really cute Christmases. My dad will have his friend from India that only speaks Hindi and Cal will have his friend from Portugal who only speaks Brazilian Portuguese and we'll have both of them at the table together and they'll just have a couple of drinks and point at things and laugh. So I, I grew up a lot with that kind of very strong mixing of different cultures. So I've come to really love it and really appreciate it. I don't think any of us identify with one thing in particular. All of us have these hyphenated personalities of, I like to say I'm functionally German, but, you know, not totally German. Wow, that sounds amazing, actually. So much like your sister and you and your family, uh, the magazine itself is a hybrid of identities and influences, which is just so interesting to me. It feels like, you know, it helps you become part of a larger community. And on that note, I was wondering, how do you think the concept of community differs in Europe versus the US? Is there a fundamental difference in the way that, you know, we relate to each other in Europe and European societies versus in America? When I think of community in Europe, I think of, you know, going to Germany and joining these sports clubs and you know, seeing these 40-year-old men or 40-year-old, 50, 60, 70-year-old men who basically every single Sunday since they were 16 have been meeting their football pals and drinking beer in their, you know, football club's bar. And that's what they've been doing every single Sunday. And it's just, it blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, like what? You just know whoever, Fred and Bob, like the back of your hand. And that was like a really sweet type of a subtle community. And it's not as loud. I mean, that's the other thing about the States, obviously, like maybe a little bit stereotypically, but everything in the States that you do tends to be loud and flashy and showy in a way that 
I think the communities that exist in Europe that I've found and seen and been able to take part of were often a lot more subtle. It wasn't in your face. It was just people just participated in those communities and then they went home. Right. Well, that's fascinating. And I'm glad you brought up sports, actually, because that's the subject of the whole magazine, of course. It's partly about identity, but it's also about how sports influence that identity. And your story is all about capoeira, which, you know, is an interesting sport because some call it a game, some call it a dance, a martial art. Nobody really knows where it started. You know, there's these different theories about the origins. So maybe you could just run us through what you explored in the article in terms of, you know, the roots of this sport. Okay, well, actually... There's the story that everybody tells, and then there's like this larger scholarly academic debate almost behind it. But the short story is capoeira is a sport that's developed by enslaved Africans in Brazil sometime late 17th, early 18th century. And it's strongly influenced by the fact that during that time, enslaved peoples aren't allowed to practice any kind of defense or practice any kind of martial arts themselves you know they're not allowed to have weapons they're not allowed to fight and so people develop ways to overcome that by forming samba circles and playing inside the circle and you know by the time the slave owner kind of comes to the circle and tries to get through everybody knows that he's there and and people just pretend like they're dancing or something and so that's kind of the story that's told about how capoeira comes to be both a martial art but also this kind of dance And then you have this larger debate behind it where you have academics who are like, actually, like the core elements of capoeira come from Western Africa in particular, you know, places like Angola, which is in capoeira lore, the birthplace of capoeira as well. Like a lot of the songs that people sing are related to Angola. There's a almost a kind of pilgrimage that capoeiristas will make to Angola. So that there is a strong Western Africa connection. So a lot of scholars say actually it developed there and then was just kind of hybridized almost when I went to Brazil. And then there's other people that say actually all of these elements of capoeira, the songs, the music, the kind of rhythms that exist are very similar to a lot of other sports that developed in different parts of the Americas. There's a sport art that developed, I forget the name, it was like kick and punch or something that developed in North America amongst enslaved peoples. It just didn't get to the kind of level that capoeira has today. So there's lots of people that say, actually, it's just this complete hybridization of all of these different cultures that were forced together through the diaspora and it kind of developed from that. Could you tell me a bit more about your sister and her relation to the sport? I feel like my sister is, every time I ask her about what awards and stuff she has, you know, she's constantly adding to it. When people at parties are like, what's a fun fact about you? I'm like, my sister's a capoeira world champion. That's my fun fact. So my sister, Leela, coolest person in the world, five years older than I am. She moved to Germany when she was 16 and immediately met this boy who introduced her to capoeira. In my mind, it's so fused with the beginning. It's like, we moved to Germany. We spend two months learning German. My sister, at the same time she starts, I think it was like ninth or 10th grade, she starts doing capoeira and then she kind of just disappears into this capoeira world for me. So she now is five-time reigning capoeira champion of Germany, four-time European champion, and one-time world champion. Basically in capoeira, you know, similar to something like karate, you get a different color belt the higher up in the game you get and the more experienced you get. 
And so she has the purple-brown court, which is pretty high up there. And there's just 24 women in the world that have that court. So she's, you know, one of two dozen women to have gotten that high up. Let's get into the journalistic process of, of writing this piece. You know, it's, it's quite lengthy. It's highly personal. So I was wondering, what was challenging about writing this piece? And how is it different from the usual journalistic work that you do? Yes, that was definitely harder in some ways to do than other writing. I'm a journalist by day, but I'm the kind of journalism I do is almost never includes me. You know, I'm an environmental journalist, largely. I write a lot about other people. I am used to kind of describing scenes and, you know, getting facts together. And in some ways, it's like my background is also as an environmental scientist. So I do have a little bit of that science brain, I would say. And so writing something that is both based in fact, you know, I did a significant amount of research to write this piece, but the way that I'm stating those facts is not necessarily like this study says, you know, ABCD. It's finding out those facts, doing that research, and then synthesizing it into a very personal narrative was for me somewhat of a new experience. I've, you know, done it a handful of times before. And yeah, I find that the actual process of doing it is just very different. But if I'm writing like a standard journalistic article, I will usually gather all the information and then kind of sit down and systematically figure out what's important and then put it together and then spend the last bit of it making it pretty, like focusing on sentences and whatnot. Whereas I feel like with a personal article like this, I had to almost use myself as a source of information. And so there was a lot of and I found that for me, it was like in the mornings, I would I would get up early in the morning, make myself a cup of coffee, and then just sit down with my notebook and really, you know, sounds so cliche, but really like look into my soul, like look into my memories and really try to pull out what do I actually think about this? What do I remember? Like, what does this mean for me? You know, when I think about my sister, how do I think about her relationship to Capoeira? So that process of using myself as a source of information was both really terrifying and also really lovely. Like, it's like you have this hodgepodge of memories and feelings and emotions in your brain. And the process of pulling that out and actually making it into like a cohesive story is quite a profound experience. You know, at the end of the day, it's like making art. It's like you have all these different colors and you have a blank canvas. And then you spend hours making a picture. And at the end, you have one. And it's just, it's, it's like you're giving birth to something. It's a beautiful process. And what was the most difficult or the most scary part about writing this piece? For me personally, it was dealing with the ambiguity of memory. You know, like I said, I read a lot of science and environmental articles. And there is ambiguity in science. And I, I like the stories that show ambiguity in science. But there's also a lot of evidence and a lot of things that are just right and things that are wrong. And memories are tricky. They exist and they're right, but you never quite know if what you're remembering is actually fact and how many times it's been processed into kind of these different stories we tell about ourselves. And that's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a different type of reality. It's a different kind of truth. But you have to lean into that truth and be like, okay, I, I do remember it that way. Why I remember it that way and whether that's like 100% factually correct, 
kind of irrelevant right now. Uh, you just have to do the best and kind of trust in yourself. But for me, I think that is terrifying because there is no right or wrong. The same way as like the story could have ended up five different ways and I had to commit to telling it one certain way. I had to kind of figure out what was important for me, what was important for me about the story. And that's a terrifying process because you don't have a super structure to guide you. You just have yourself. So what about you? Do you have a hobby or a sport that gives you meaning or a purpose in life? I mean, you pitched the story to a call for submissions for our magazine, for our weird magazine that was asking what can sports tell us about our identity and who we are. So I was wondering, do you have a sport that influences your identity? And what do you think about the power of sports to do that kind of stuff? Well, I have to say when I first saw the call for pitches, there's a part of sports that makes me like roll my eyes and be like, oh, how boring is the wrong word, but kind of like how plain. And then it wasn't until really reflecting on it and being like, actually, you can tell a story about sports that's super cliche and really doesn't get into any of the identity behind it and is just about, you know, running up to that ball and then you kick it and it goes in the net and like your heart explodes. Like, I hate stories like that. Personally, I'm not a fan of the movies that are about like the typical kind of sport art movie. Americans like lap up that kind of, you know, what I consider quite superficial, emotional sport stories. There is something deeper about sport. And when I was writing the story, I interviewed both my sister and Cal multiple times to just get their sense of what cupware means to it, how you play it, what it means on this kind of larger metaphysical level. And I was really struck by talking to both my sister and to Cal about the ways that there is this almost feedback cycle between how they develop as a person and how they develop as a athlete in doing sport. And I think about it the same way I think about art in that, you know, I'm really interested in this interaction between science and art. Personally, I run a collective here in New York City called the Climate Collective, where we bring scientists and artists together to talk about climate change Part of why I love that practice is because art has this really incredible ability to kind of abstract. Like you can take concepts and you can have the freedom to kind of muddle them up on the canvas and then you reflect them back to yourself and then you see something that you otherwise wouldn't have seen. And so it's a little bit of this like external canvas where you can experiment in a very focused, structured way, work something out and then take that and bring it back to your normal life. And I think I saw a lot of that when I was interviewing Leland Cow, because both of them were like, yeah, the lessons I learned in Capoeira about discipline, about, you know, community, about sharing, you know, Capoeira is so much about the circle. That's such an essential part of the game is, is it is about the circle. It's really hard to be individualistic in Capoeira because you need the other person, you need the circle around you. You need to also be a good singer and a good clapper as much as you need to be a good player. And so all of these lessons that they were learning, they were really bringing back into their own life and reflecting on the ways in which these lessons they learned in Capoeira are also applying to how they're raising their sons and they're applying to how they're conducting their relationships with others. I'm athletic. I do a lot of different things. I'm really into surfing and snowboarding, I think, are two of my outlets. Obviously, a little bit harder to practice on a daily basis, unfortunately. And, you know, I jog and I work out and I do all these things, but I don't really have a sport that calls to me in the same way. I do feel it as a little bit of a loss. I think there's a lot that you can learn 
through sports and sports are kind of one of many outlets in life where, where, yeah, you have this ability to just step outside of yourself and reconstruct yourself a little bit and then, you know, step back into yourself and that practice and playing with those identities and really having those outlets, I think is something that sports does super well. I don't necessarily have that, but I recognize how much it gives to other people who do. That was Sarah Sachs on her piece, My Sister the Capoeirista, from our latest print magazine, The Sports Issue. Now you can listen to this piece by tuning into our Are We Europe Readouts podcast feed. If you want to read it in print, go to areweeurope.eu forward slash member and get yourself a copy of the print magazine. And you can support independent journalism along the way. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.